0: As we kind of transition over here into um, a part of our study in Colossians chapter 3, just for time's sake, I'm not really going to do a lot of review. Uh, That'll that'll come back in another time. But uh, I just want to tell you that today we're going to be examining the subject of love. I consulted a very valuable section uh, uh, written by REO. White. I'm just going to call him Mr. White from now on. But anyway, he wrote in something called the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, and he wrote about this. And so I've I've referenced a couple of things from him. It provided an excellent overview of the subject of love in both the Old and New Testament. But he begins the section he wrote by saying this, It is important to understand this exceedingly ambiguous term. (laughs) Now, let me kind of say this in a little bit different way. First of all, isn't that an amazing introduction? I mean, it's like, oh, great. But what he's basically saying is uh, love is a very important subject, but it is, impre- it, it is very hard to understand. Uh, I think that most of us would really understand that it's hard to understand, right? It's, it's a complex emotion, and so I'm, I'm just telling you very transparently, I don't say this to garner sympathy or anything like that. I say this to help you understand you got to work with me today. This is a tough topic. And I, I even decided we got to look at this in two weeks because there's just so much there. And so my purpose this morning is to try to help us get in our minds um, this subject, to really wrap our minds around it and, and, and settle on this specifically as we see it used in Colossians 3. So, as a matter of introduction, we're going to uh, look at Colossians three fourteen here. And by the way, it's important for you to bring your Bibles. We often look up something in our scriptures directly, but today we're going to be relying on the screen a little bit because we've got a little bit of work to do. Okay. So it says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Okay. The reason why I have the bond of perfection also highlighted because that's what it is. It's describing what love is. Right. So. We're going to be looking at this passage. So I plan to cover this passage, as I mentioned, in two weeks. The text actually leads us into two parallel aspects of love. The first, which we'll cover today, is a little bit more of the technical aspect, uh, as I've mentioned. And I know I want to just talk to the young people for a moment here. We're going to be looking at some terms and things. I don't want to lose you either. I want to keep you with me because this is an important topic and it's something that we all need to apply to our lives. So I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to encourage you a little bit, okay? So anyway, the second part we'll cover next week will be more of the practical application side of the message. And frankly, I'm really looking forward to that. Not that I'm not looking forward to today, but obviously when you have something that you've learned about and now you're going to do something with, I think it's going to be exciting. But I want to be clear. As we bring to mind a better understanding of certain words and consider what love is, uh, I don't want this to be dry and boring. Instead, today's study is an important foundation for a successful application next week. Okay, so I just want you to keep all of that in mind. So with that, we're going to move ahead here to what I have basically called the language of love. Uh, We're going to first look at some Old Testament words for love. We're going to look at three of these. The first one is Ahab. And by the way, um, I don't know if I'm saying these things right exactly. I, I don't speak Hebrew, all right, but I'm working at it. So this is my understanding of how this says, okay? So it's a it's a broad general use for the word love. It can mean love for an object, right? It can mean physical love, it can mean love for others, and love for God. So that's kind of how we use love, right? You know, I love ice cream, and I do, okay? Um, I love my wife, not the same way I love my ice cream. And so this is one of that, you know, more broad-based type of terms that we use love for, and, and you can see that in the scriptures. We're going to give you a few examples. The first one comes from 1 Samuel 20, verse 17. Beautiful passage, Right? Now, Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved Ahab, and all these are that. He loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Wow. They had a deep friendship, didn't they? Okay. So here's Jonathan. And and what they did was they exchanged vows in this context because David was being threatened by by, um, Jonathan's dad, Saul. Okay. Okay. And because of that, they made kind of a pact, so to speak, that no matter what would happen to one or the other, that the other one would take care of their families and stuff. They, they, they had a dedication to one another. And so this goes back to this idea of love. And then Proverbs 12:1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, we're not going to focus on the, the stupid part here, okay? It's <laughs> enough said. But, but look at that. Whoever loves, right? We're not talking about just, yeah, if you kind of, sort of. No, there's a dedication here, right? And that's what, that's what love is. And then we see Isaiah one twenty three Your princes are rebellious and companions of these. Everyone loves bribes. Again, that's that word, ahab. And follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come from before them. Or come before them. So we see that there's a negative aspect to, to loving as well. Okay, I want you to see the well-rounded aspect of this. The second word that we see is, is called uh, kashok, to love, delight, or set in love. Um, this is not used as often, but it, it does bear to our study, I believe, a little bit. And so I wanted to just take a look at this. It, 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 it helps us understand love in the Scriptures. Look at this passage, Deuteronomy 10.15. 15. The Lord delighted... Kashak, only in your fathers to love them. When we go back to that first word, Ahab, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day. So the idea that the Lord set His affection or His love on His chosen people and then loved Him, loved them, is the idea here. So, so His His love was set upon them. That's a beautiful, beautiful word, isn't it? And so there was a deliberateness to this in this passage. Now, again, I believe that this principle carries over into the New Testament as well, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. But there's one more word, and it's the word hased. Uh it has to do with kindness, mercy, or loving kindness. So many, many times you will see, and by the way, this is a, a widely used word, many, many times you will see this word. Used in in uh, passages related to the prophets, even speaking of of God and His people and different things about how He has dealt with them, and so uh, the re- let me let me back up. The reason why I read from Psalm one thirty six from the uh, ESV is this: um, the more recent in more recent days, this word has said. Uh, ha, as it relates to God, has has been looked at a little more closely, and what they believe is whether it be again God's mercies or God's kindness or whatever, that really th- there is behind that, there is th- the foundation behind that is what we read today: a steadfast love. It, it doesn't mean that there isn't mercy involved; doesn't mean there isn't kindness involved. But what they have really seen is is that that there's, there's just more to that word than maybe what was always understood. Um, it's not trying to read something in that's not there. If you look and you really just let it say what, again, the, the general word says, it's going to communicate that because if God does something in his mercies, right, it's really his love behind that. If God is doing something out of his kindness, it is his love that is behind that. And so that's the idea. So I wanted to, to again, um, Just kind of have you consider that when it came to the passage that we read, but also to to look at one passage in relation to that. And by the way, just let me just say this. Mr. Wright wrote this. Has said is not an emotional response to beauty, merit, or kindness. That tends to be that that um, emotional response to. That tends to be that other type of love, that more general love, right? I see worth in my ice cream bowl, so I love it. Right? (laughs) You know, I know, I'm on a theme here. But anyway. So But you get the idea. But it is a moral attitude dedicated to another's good, whether or not the person is lovable, worthy, or responsive. Now, it's easy for us to throw the rocks at the children of Israel, right? And say, yeah, God had to deal with them so many times, and I'm going to read this again, when they weren't lovable, worthy, or responsive. But of course, I always am, (laughs) right? No, we're not. But we see that time and time again... God just expressed his love to them, especially when we see this hased in that light. Right. Psalm 51, 1. Many of you know this passage well. It's it's when uh Nathan, as it says here in the title, uh came and confronted uh David with his sin with Bathsheba. And it says here, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. What what was David counting on? By the way, was David a follower of the Lord? Yes. Scriptures say he was a man under God's own heart who really blew it. And you've heard that many, many times. What I'm trying to do is, is just quickly establish a context here that we have a guy who was at the top of his spiritual game but not at this time you see what I'm trying to say Like he, he loved the Lord and he wrote so many songs and he, he dedicated his life to God and he, and he even led the people well right? all these things are taking place but man he hit a major I almost said he hit a pothole he didn't hit a pothole he practically destroyed himself and he did destroy others around him as a result of this this wasn't just a blip this was a major thing. But what does he rely upon? When he goes to God in confession, now I believe he already confessed. He, writ, he wrote about his confession. By the way, wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I picked up a hymn book next week and started singing about our life like this? Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> this was a song. David exposed himself for who he was. But he also recognized God for who he was. Amen. And he pleaded with the God of loving kindness to take his sin away. Right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So let's move on here. We have some New Testament words. First off, there is phileo to be a friend to like or love someone or something it does lend itself a little bit more to this idea of this ahab that we saw in the old testament but it's probably a little more serious than that right i'm not i don't know that this this friendship love is a friendship with ice cream for example okay but but it's it it still has that more general uh attitude about it I can't get my notes apart. <laughs> so um, a- as we look at this, th- there are other uh, New Testament words, but we're going to stick with these two, okay? Um, and-, and as we think about that, let me just say a couple of things. Some, um, some things to think about as we're-, as we're moving into this part of the study. My purpose is that we continue to appreciate the subject of love in the Scriptures, right? That's what we talked about. We, we want to we get a-, a-, a bigger picture of what love is in the Scriptures and appreciate that. And my hope is as, that as we see the different aspects of love more accurately, it is going to help us to specifically see Colossians in a better light. But I believe that we can run into two possible negative outcomes of our if our understanding of love, New Testament love here, is off, between this word phileo and then the next word which we're going to look at is agape. First, we can de- develop a lower view of a word for love and miss God what God intends for us to know and do with it. In other words, if we start to kind of say one, one kind of love is way more important than another kind of love, and we elevate that. I believe this can take place specifically with this, this phileo, friendship um, kind of love. The second is we can elevate a word to the point where we either fixate on the word itself, or we make it so special that achieving it is somehow out of the reach except for the spiritual elite. And I say that specifically because that's exactly what Paul has been warning us in the book of Colossians. Our faith in Christ, meaning even our daily practice of our faith, is not for the spiritual elite only. As a matter of fact, it's not. There's no only. It's for everybody. Amen. It doesn't matter what our what our educational status is, it doesn't matter how long we've been in the Lord we can all and should all do it, right? Well, it's the same way with this word, with a word. Let's say it like that. So either way, we can miss the mark of actually doing what the word is supposed to communicate. And This is where we can potentially stumble when we artificially elevate agape love, right? If we say this is a very high, godly love, oh man, I, where is it? I, I can't grasp it, right? We don't want to do that. Not when it's really the word that's used most for love in the New Testament. All right? So let's talk specifically about this, this uh, friendship love, this companionship type of love, this, this phileo. This kind of love is more emotion-based than reason-based. Um, it's more emotional, but it's still sensible. Okay? It's not a silly love. All right. It describes an affection ranging from general emotion to deep love. So again, there's some real depth to this word. We also see a form of philo as Philadelphia or brotherly love. We say that Philadelphia, obviously you've heard this before, is the city of brotherly love. Well, in the scriptures, that word Philadelphia is talking about a brotherly love many times relating to the church itself. However, the depth of phileo does not consistently reach the depth of our next word, of agape. Now, I know you're going to say, Oh, good, he's going to flash up a definition of of agape. It's too big. So, basically, I'm just telling you, I'm going to give you a verbal definition. But we're talking about agape now. All right? It's by far, as I mentioned, the most used word in the New Testament for love. The general New Testament usage of the word agape conveys a type of love that is based upon reason and will. Now, First thing you think about is, oh, reason and will, that sounds so loving. (laughs) Folks, love always contains emotion, oftentimes strong emotion. But agape isn't swayed by feelings or circumstances. It is consistent and committed. Agape is more often self-sacrificing and seeks the good of the other person. All right. Now, can a friendship love do that? Yes, but it's not necessarily your highest priority in friendship. You're just kind of hanging out together. You're doing your thing together, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not constantly thinking to yourself, oh, I have to seek the higher good here, right? This just popped in my head. Please excuse me, right? But you're going on a bike ride, you know? Agape love says, hey, let's go on a bike ride together. I'm sorry, phileo love says that. Agape love is like, is your seat okay? Do you mind pumping your tires? Right? Can I check your brakes for you? You know, it's, friendship love doesn't necessarily do that every time you get out on a bike. And I'm just using the silly example to make a point. All right? Agape in the New Testament strongly resembles the qualities that we saw in the Hebrew word hesed. All of these qualities make it the perfect word for love to be used for spiritual matters. Right? Because it's a love that is consistent. And it's a love that is not driven by pure emotion. And it is a love that is committed. Right? So let me give you some examples of agape love in the Scriptures. John 15, 9-12. As the Father, by the way, this is all agape love. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, right? Or be in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide or dwell in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we, agape, one another, we're committed and we think of the other person first because that's the type of love that God has for us. Next one. In Ephesians five two, And walk in love. That's, that's, that's a lifestyle, right? That's what that means. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. He sacrificed himself for us to satisfy what? The, the requirements of a righteous God. We could not do that. He did that for us. Amen. Now, the reason why I I um I just want to focus on this for just a minute here is that this shows the more exclusive aspect of why the word agape is used here, right? It's it just it has it has more depth. It goes beyond um a friendship, companionship type love. It's a self not not to say that friends and companions can't have a self-sacrificing type of love, but this, this is qualifying that right exclusively. All right, let's move on. James 1, 12. blessed is a man who endures testing, for when he has been approved, who receives the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Folks, we're to have a love for God, and our love for the Lord doesn't change with our circumstances. I mean, you know, we've, I'm sure we've talked about James before, but I'm sure you've heard messages about James and things. But the connection here is this we love him even though we're going through tough times. And if it's a trial and not, you know, having some consequences for poor decisions, right? That's correction. But if it's a trial, God brought it along. And we say, you know what? He loves me. So I'm going to love him. right? I'm going to love him, not in spite of the trials, but because he's taking me and refining me through things. One more. Now this one's going to be a little bit different, so just kind of buckle up here. And I have it for a reason. John 3.19 And this is the condemnation. (laughs) A little bit different, right? That the light has come into the world and men loved. Agape. Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Folks, listen. This is is what this is saying. People determined. They wanted. They strongly desired to sacrifice other things because they loved their sin. That's what it says. And listen. Everybody at one time in their life was right here. It was only through the grace of God that that changed, and so this is why I want us to understand, boy. And by the way, there's more examples like this in the New Testament where this agape, this this you know very reasoned, determinate love, is about the wrong things, which is why we got to be careful not to elevate it as only this godly love. I'm not saying it's not a godly love. What I'm saying is it's a, it's a determined love. It's a love that will sacrifice for the good, or in this case, the bad, of something else. Okay, So that's kind of, and again, why, why we need to, to, to consider that. All right. I have a couple of examples of how we see agape and phileo used in similar ways. It's not to confuse you is to help you understand that sometimes you can't differentiate between these words because there is a blending of how they're used. Just like how we use our word love. Right? And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But let's just look at these. The Father loves the Son and has given all things in, into His hand. This is the Father loving the Son, agape. Oh, well, we would expect that, right? But look at what... And that, I'm sorry, that's, that's John 3.35, but look at what John 5.20 says. It's even in the same book. For the Father loves Phileo, the Son, and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater marvels than these that you may marvel. Okay? Now, kind of forget about the marveling stuff. That's not what our study is about. God agapes the Son, the Father. The Father agapes the Son, sorry. The father also Phileos the son. Boy, that that elevates both those words, doesn't it? So there's a similarity there. Now I want you to see 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Jesus talking about, about the father and the son here. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love, that's that Philadelphia, the Phileo is in there. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught. By God to love one another agape and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia but we urge you brethren that you increase more and more so here's the question that I have that you do so is you love and that you increase more and more is that your love increases more and more which kind (laughs) yes (laughs) the answer is yes both that brotherly love and that self-sacrificing, determinate love. and they can go together. And so like I say, I'm not trying to confuse anybody here. What I'm trying to say is, is that we don't want to say that one is lofty and one is not, because it can, it can make one out of reach, and it can kind of push one off to the side. And boy, the way the usage is, these are both beautiful terms for love. But it doesn't change, doesn't change what agape means. There is that threshold where agape is very much about that commitment that takes place. So as we wrap up our coverage of the New Testament Turns for Love, a couple of illustrations may help us understand the difference between the two. I'm going to just give you an example of, of our own lives of how Maggie and I would express our love. When Maggie and I were headed toward marriage, we felt that we were marrying our best friend. We still tell one another, I love being with you. Or, I love doing life with you. And really, that's, that's a, a phileo type of love. Now, make no mistake, right? It's rich. It's deep. We really love each other. But it's more of that companionship idea. And there is a very strong aspect of that to marriage. There can be a very strong aspect of that to friendship, as we talked about. But when we committed our lives to one another, we were not saying to one another, Hey, let's hang out together for the rest of our lives, right? Let's pal around. Now, again, I'm not trying to diminish the friendship type of love. We've, we've elevated that love. We've, we've highlighted it. Nor do I want to put agape love out of reach, as we've said before. But the reality is that we committed ourselves to one another in an agape love. Amen. Did we know exactly what all that meant? Absolutely not. Did any of you? Right? Do any of you who haven't been married yet? No. But the point is this, is that we have stuck to our commitments even when maybe that phileo love isn't just quite thriving, right? When everything isn't just perfect, we still agape one another. Another way to illustrate this, this kind of love is considering part of a conversation overheard by two boys, there were two boys sitting on the front porch. The one boy had been in a little trouble with his mother. I'm sure that that does not, you know, equate to any of us. You know what I mean? All the boys in this room, that's never happened, right? But he was in a little trouble with mom. So the second boy in this conversation asked him, well, does your mother still love you? And the, and the first boy replied, oh, she loves me. She doesn't like me very much right now, but she loves me. The boy knew that his mom wasn't happy with him for whatever he had done. Her phileo type of love or personal affection was was running a little thin at that time. But the boy also knew that no matter what he had done, his mom's agape for him wasn't going to change. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of moms in this room that will attest to that, right? Both aspects of it. But listen, that's what we're talking about here. It's, 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 it's a determined, committed type of love. And that's what we see in the book of Colossians. Before we get there, I want us to look at the love of God. We're going to look at several verses here, and I love this passage because it really highlights all three terms. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. The Lord is, did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Now, we'll stop right there for a minute. This isn't saying that God didn't set his love on them. He's saying why he didn't set his love on them. He's qualifying that. It is actually saying God has set his love on you, but not for this reason. And what was that reason? It's not, it wasn't because you were the biggest country around. It wasn't because you are biggest and baddest, right? It says, for you were the least of all peoples, But because the Lord loves, that goes back to that general, but still a good term for love, Ahab, because he loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy. This is one of those times where you have mercies. Um, favor, some of those other words, that's this word, said. His steadfast love, right? So let's read it like that. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Wow. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's that little package there where we see every aspect of the love that we talked about. But, Hey, he's committed, right, has said, because of who he is. He's committed because he is a faithful God. Next we see here, and I'm sorry, I, I just wanted you to see, in the ESV, they translated that steadfast love. So there's a consistency there. Sorry about that. So let's move on to Micah 7, 18 through 20. So we're going from Deuteronomy... Right, Way back in the beginning, now to Micah, much, much later in in the children of Israel's history. Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, and again, this is the ESV, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. What's the prophet saying? We're counting on the faithfulness of God, on his steadfast love. He promised this is coming. It's still coming. We're looking for it. Did it come? Yeah. It came in Christ. It came in Christ. Now there's more to that a little bit too. I'm not gonna get into that this morning, but the point is this the steadfast love of God came through the love of Jesus Christ, giving himself, right? Because that's how their sins were going to be taken away. All right. Whew, all right. Are you with me? Yes. All right, you're good. Okay. No one's lying. I'm just kidding. All right? So, anyways, let's, let's move on. Let's go to the New Testament. New Testament. But God demonstrates in Romans 5.8 his own love toward us. And I just highlighted the whole thing because it was fun. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This sounds a little bit like some of the Old Testament passage, doesn't it? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. God demonstrated. That love to us, right? Through Jesus Christ. Folks, I got to pause here. Have you experienced that demonstrated love? Do you understand that God showed, expressed his love for us by giving us Christ, by him dying in our place? That is your only hope. When you reject God, you're actually rejecting his love gift to you. When you reject Christ, you are rejecting his love gift to you. Now, the opposite is true. When we recognize that God loved us so much that he demonstrated that by giving us Christ as a gift as, as the, the replacement for us, as taking the place of all of the punishment that we deserve, that we had actually earned, right? And, and blotted it out. Took it away based upon our faith in him. This is agape love. Hebrews twelve, verses five and six. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastising. That, that's, that's punishment, correction, right? Of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For when the Lord love, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Alright? So here's the thing. And you've heard me say this illustration before, I know you have. You're standing in a grocery line. Some kid next to you is acting up. They're, they're, they're throwing skittles everywhere, right? Uh, they're, you know, they're making paper airplanes out of the magazines and stuff, you know. There goes Beyonce, right? You know All this kind of stuff, all this is happening. And your kid's over here going, hey, mom, dad, sh- shouldn't you be taking care of this? And your response is going to be what? Not it's not my <laughs> kid. <laughs> not my problem. I like that. Just, not my kid. It's not my kid, right? God says, If you're my child, when you get out of line, I'm going to spank you. And I'm going to do it. Why? Because I agape. I love you with a deep, committed love. I'm not going to let you keep on going that direction. Wow. Now, by the way, younger folks among us, this is how your mom and dad are supposed to help you out. And it really is because they love you. Please keep that in mind. You can thank me later, Moses. Anyway, let's move ahead here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Right? <laughs> Listen, God loved a bunch of dead people. We had no life spiritually. He made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Well, how does He show that? It's us! In His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Beautiful passage, isn't it? And it's all based upon the fact that He loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, right? That whoever believes in Him will not perish. There will be no second death for them, but will have everlasting life. I want us to I just don't think that we can look at this without taking at least a little bit, and we're not going to take a deep dive into it, but we've got to look at the great commandment. Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. There was an exchange that was taking place, and this is what Jesus says. The first of all of the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second commandment, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the first thing that we see here is that there is only one God. And there is no other God. Right? And God is one. Therefore, our love for him cannot be divided. That's the thrust. Of this passage. We are to love to uh, agape God with our whole being. We are not to love any other God, to put some other God above him or even alongside of him. But we are to commit our whole being to loving God. We're also commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus did not say, that loving God is the same as loving man—that would be idolatry. However, the second commandment was the same character as the first: that we are having appropriate love for others as we do the Lord. That's what this passage is talking about. And we—we we, again, we—I just couldn't, I couldn't get through the, the the lesson, so to speak, unless we just went back to this. So now let's let's talk about this this. Um, passage that we've been looking at love overall and again we're going to take a look at Colossians 3 14 but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection we're talking more about the first phrase today all these things that we learned about love right we're going to kind of dump in here a little bit this first week we're focusing on the first part above all these things there is an element of superiority of love in relation to all of the other character traits that we have been looking at whether it be kindness or patience, all those different things. This phrase means to put on love over top of all of the other qualities that we examined. A picture of this might help us understand what Paul was trying to convey. It's kind of like wearing a suit. Now, I have my shoes and my socks on. Um, I have my pants and shirt, belt and tie. We can add accessories like cufflinks. I don't have a shirt like that. Or a tie clip or even a vest, right? We can wear a three-piecer. But it isn't a suit until I put on the suit coat, right? If I take this off, I'm no longer wearing a suit. Now, I know sometimes we get some, you know, smart alecks out there and say, well, if you're not wearing pants, it's not a suit either. Well, the passage <laughs> takes care of that, right? The passage says, above all these things. So that means that all of these things are already in place, right? So that's what he's done. He's laid all of these character qualities out, and he says, hey, you top it off by putting on love. It it, it brings everything together. It makes the ensemble, right? That's what he's talking about here. So love makes all of these other character qualities complete. Now, as we just consider concluding things here, again, most of this has been building what love means. We see that, you know, anyway, we'll get to that, but we're going to bring this forward to next week as we make some application. But what should our takeaway be from this study? First, I want us to gain a little better understanding of love in God's Word. It, it, it's impossible to, to do this in three or four weeks to give it true justice. But I wanted to give you a picture, right? Secondly, I really want to see that love is a major theme in the Scriptures, especially when we understand the richer, more accurate meaning of hased in the Old Testament. So when we look at the fact that agape and phileo are, are, are you know, especially agape though is, is used often in the New Testament and then we see how many times we see God's mercies and his favor and his, and his uh, good pleasure for them and how he sets his love on them all those other things when we look at that we see that you know, yes God really is a God of love there is no different God in the Old Testament different covenant but not a different God we saw how he took care of, was going to take care of their sins in Christ. We saw that. All right, so then let's go on. Third, this results in us understanding that God is a loving God in the old and new, as I just said. We, we need to understand we have a loving God. Lastly, as we consider our context, love makes the Christian life complete. We're going to look more at that next week. Like I say, it was just too big of a topic. Folks, I, I mean, I, I started laying this out, and like I said, I, I, I've wrestled through this. And so I, I hope that, 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 you know, I've achieved my goals. Again, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm concerned that you get it. That's my only concern, okay? So next week, we will take a practical look at how love completes the Christian life. We're going to actually see how that works. We'll be able to apply what we learn more effectively because we now better understand God's love. We now better understand love in the scriptures. Because what we're doing is we're loving others. Why? Because God loved us. And that type of love is that I have you in mind kind of love. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't receive the glory for that. Right? But let's face it. There wasn't anything that would have given us this brotherly love with God because the scriptures tell us prior to Christ we were his enemies. We weren't his friends. So it required a love that considered the other person. A love that did something for them outside of just this feel good hanging out together type of love. All right? And so that's why that word is employed. That's the kind of love that God did for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he loved us. Again, if you have truly not experienced the love of Christ even today, I, I, I just strongly encourage you to do that. I, I It's easy for me on the other side of that faith continuum, so to speak, right? To look back and say, how could you not, right? How how can we reject this wonderful, beautiful love that God has given to us? Where where Jesus came as the God-man, completely, totally self-sacrificial, gave it all, gave everything, held nothing back. For a people that before having faith in him, hated him. Loved sin. Agape loved sin. Really liked it. But instead, he turns around he loves us. Like I say, having received it, it's easy to say, what's, what's wrong with somebody who doesn't believe that? I don't know what's between you and the Lord. I don't know what your experiences have been, but what I'll tell you is this. Don't let anything, anything or anybody get in the way of understanding and trusting that God loves sinners. That he sacrificed himself. That he gave a message to all people. You come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he goes on to say, rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider our our doctrine that we take from the scriptures, we know that you do a work in everyone who comes to you as Savior. But we also know that Jesus gave a number of invitations to the crowds. Lord, we don't know who will believe and who won't believe. What we do know is is that trusting in you has to be genuine. And trusting in you to be genuine has to include the fact that we recognize that you are the one who who basically made us. You're, you're, you're You're the one who died for us and that we need a Savior because without Him, we're going to hell. We are going to be punished and it's a righteous punishment. It's a total, complete separation from you. We also know that this is the only life that we have to respond. And so as we think about that, Lord, we thank you for those of us who know you as Savior. We thank you for the great gift, for the great love that you've given to us. We pray, Father, for anybody here who does not know you as Savior, that you would just work in their heart and life even today. Lord, it's one thing to have received your agape love and to even love you back of course we we struggle with that but we also are obedient to that and we enjoy that relationship but father as we consider the the crux of our passage it also needs to be translated even as the great commandment tells us into loving others so i pray father that as we have gathered all of this information as we've seen who you are and who Christ is and and the love that you have, that that would in turn generate in us that self-sacrificing, others-oriented love. Deep, heartfelt devotion backed up by action. Loving others because you have loved us. As a body of believers, Lord, again... You know us. You know that there is a lot of love in this room. But even as we were challenged, as the, as the Thessalonians were challenged, Lord, may we, may we have that increase more and more. More and more as we understand and appreciate the love that you gave to us. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated term. But in some ways, there's a simplicity about it. Especially when we're talking about how we are to love others. It just simply means to consider them and to do something about it. Heavenly Father, in our homes, in our communities, and in our church, what a breath of fresh air it would be to those around us to be a person of love, to shine forth, the love that you've given to us. So we ask that you would encourage us to do that, that we would build one another up in the faith, and the daily practice of trusting you and of loving you. In Jesus' name, amen.